again, thanks for coming out. So let's pray. Father, we just give thanks for how you just continue to bless us well beyond measure. And I thank you for the friends who had a heart to come out and hear what you had to say, Father. And I just pray that you would just continue to use this vessel, Father, use it up. And that my sisters and brothers would have a better understanding of the heart of God uh, going out than they did coming in. So we pray, Father, that your word would be rightly divided and that every heart here, every ear would be open to receive what you have for us. May you receive the glory of all that's said and done here today and forevermore. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Uh, please turn your, your Bible and your apps to Daniel chapter 6. Daniel chapter 6. As I was going through this, uh, I liked the challenge of uh, giving it a, a title any, every time I get to teach. And for this one, um, I have here, I actually have Daniel chapter 6, verses 1 through 28, but uh, the jury's still out on whether that'll happen. Uh, and my title for this particular passage was, If God is for you, who can be against you? And that, that scripture uh, is in Romans 8.31. So uh, let's just start and just see how far the, the Lord would have us to go. Uh, verse 1, it pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be over the whole kingdom. And over these three governors of whom Daniel was one, but the satraps might give account to them so that the king would suffer no loss. Then this Daniel distinguished himself above the governors and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him and the king gave thought to setting him over the whole realm. So the, verse 4, so the governors and satraps sought to find some charge against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could find no charge of fault because he was faithful, nor was there any error or fault in him. Verse 5, then these men said, we shall not find any charge against this Daniel unless we find it against him concerning the law of his God. And we're just going to stop there just for a moment and go back and dissect you know, what, what the Lord has shown me uh, about this chapter. And this chapter opens with Babylon, the head of gold, having been removed from the, the number one spot as a world power. And uh, there was a new sheriff in town. Instead of the head of gold, which was Babylon, having absolute power, the arms of silver, which was the Medo-Persian Empire, ruled the kingdom. Now, the difference here. It, when when the, the prior king, the ruler, absolute power, it was a, a, a dictatorship. And now with the Medo-Persian kingdom coming into, now the things are divided, as you'll see, as we just read with the other people that, were, that came alongside the king or the ruler. And there were a lot of problems associated with being that one ruling king, that dictatorship. On the other hand, there's a lot of problems associated with having different arms of this kingdom as well. And we'll see that as we go along. Darius had 120 princes who shared the responsibility of rulership with him. Over that group, he placed three presidents who were liaison officers between the princes and the king. And this sounds good in theory, but there's a downside. This sharing of rulership was different from the way Belshazzar ruled, it was his way, and you got two options. You either die or hit the bricks. That was it. There was no other option. And he would just, he would take you out, or you would just get out. Verse 2, uh, when Daniel was a liaison between these two world powers by holding high positions in both, during Belshazzar's reign of the Babylonian Empire, Daniel was set aside because Belshazzar Belshazzar did not honor the, the uh, true and living God and did not want Daniel's godly influence. But by the grace of God, Daniel was now placed in a position of power. And what's happening is when, when the prior king was there, 
uh, he allowed Daniel to have some say or he trusted Daniel's word because he saw that he was a godly man. And we'll see that word as we go through the, those words again. Spirit filled. We'll see those words again because that was the reason why Daniel was trusted. But now with these other people involved having some uh, a p- amount of power, they don't want it. And nothing new under the sun. The people that have this godly influence, they're finding a way to get them out of there. We can't have this. We can't have these people coming in and telling us that we can't have alternate lifestyles. We can't have these people coming in and telling them that we can't uh, sacrifice our babies. We can't have these people coming in and telling us that we can't do these things. We can't live the way we want to. We can't make the rules that apply to us and us alone. And so that's what's happening here. So what we need to do, the people that surround me, the other, uh, um, the, the satraps, is let's trap this guy. He's a, he's a man of God. He's a religious person. So let's find a way to use that against him. And again, you know, as we go through this, I always encourage application, life application. Think about what's going on around us today and how we uh, if we allow or force out of believing what we want to believe and believing what the world would have us to believe. Uh, well, I'm praying for it. Okay, praying is great. Praying is, is the, the best way that you can begin this. But what happens if you're not engaged, if you're not uh, active, that's an indication that you're okay with what we're doing. And one of the things that we struggle with is when we talk about this, we need to take a stand. Well, the Lord's going to do what he's going to do anyway, so why bother? If that's the case, then let's go and line out being his head, his hands and feet. He doesn't need that if we just stand idly by and allow these things to happen. So that's what's going on with here. And what uh, uh, Nebuchadnezzar did, he, he set Daniel aside. Okay, we don't really need your influence. You, you know, this, this godly stuff, this is okay, but it conflicts with what we believe. So we, we, we got this, this uh, inclusion, but it's only inclusion when you agree with us. We're not going to see it your way. We want you to see it our way. That's what we consider inclusion. We want you to be included with what we believe. I will not be swayed by the world. I will purpose in my heart that I will not conform, but I will be transformed. That's the attitude we need to have, my friends. And verse 3, then Daniel distinguished himself. Well, let me back up just for a second. Verse 2, uh, and, and the grace of God was, the grace of God was Daniel, well, what placed Daniel in a position of power. And the satraps and governors were there to provide damage control. The three presidents were placed in a position to prevent the princes from stealing. This is an issue, and that's an issue today, as we can see, um, with our government. There are people, even though they're under the microscope, they're still prone to take things that don't belong to them. Nobody will ever know. And if they do find out, I'm above the law, so I don't have to be concerned about that. So that was happening even here. The the the. The satraps were stealing uh, things from the king. Then Daniel uh, distinguished himself above the governors of satraps because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king gave thought to setting him over the whole nation. And Daniel was number one of those three presidents. And Daniel was number one at the age of roughly 80 at this time. And this excellent spirit means Daniel was a spirit-filled man. Spirit-filled man, and that's what we desire of our heart is to be spirit-filled. You're either governed by the spirit or you're governed by the flesh, period. So you have a choice, and and the the word says, choose this day who you will serve. I pray that our response would be, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. My desire is that we will all think that way. You don't have to really debate this. You don't have to give it any thought. You don't have to justify to anyone what you believe. And the flesh is always, always, always looking to rule. Everybody in this here and there knows that. 
always, while I'm a really strong Christian, I'm really grounded, the flesh will want to rule. And if allowed to, it will take you further and further and further. As our pastor this morning talked about going to the edge, it would take you right to the edge and over if you allow. The flesh is strong. Flesh is really strong. And and I'm not telling anybody here anything they don't know. We all know that we experience that on a daily basis. And uh, and because Daniel was spirit-filled or an excellent spirit, uh, the king had such confidence in Daniel's godly anointing that he placed him next to himself in position and power. And if, if you think about where Daniel came from, being brought in at such a young age and being subjected to so many things and then being able to, as a spirit filled a, a godly man, a godly person, able to overcome that because he stayed committed to the Lord. He didn't waver. He didn't go whichever way the wind blew. He stayed committed. And my prayer for all of us, all of us, especially the people in leadership, is that we stay committed to the Lord. No exceptions. And it says, even the elect are possible. My friends, that's very true. Well, you guys are pastors. You're not subjected to the things that we are. Ah, contraire. Even more so. The target is bigger. If we can bring him down, then there's a domino effect. It affects church. It affects family. It affects work. It affects everything. We're not immune. So the verse back to verse four. So the governors and Chetrap sought to find some charge against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could find no charge or fault because he was faithful nor was there any error or fault found in him. Daniel's high position made him a target of jealous and ambitious politicians. This may sound familiar to some of you. Those who he ruled over tried to find some way to discredit him. The life of Daniel was above reproach. He was faithful and loyal to God, and then King Darius Loyal to God and then King Darius. That order is very important. Don't understate the, the, the order that God's created. And, and, and a good analogy would, would be to go back to the order that God created in Genesis. Well, why can't we just you know, switch things around a little bit? There's a problem associated with that. Well, we're just going to modify it to fit today's thinking. The modern thinking, allegiance to God, and then Darius. Very important that we think that way. For life application, who are you serving? Who are you serving? And no one, uh, it says, the things of heaven. Think of, focus on the things of heaven and all these other things will fall into place. That's the attitude. We, it's not an option. We got to have it. If you're going to serve the Lord, he's got the, the only mighty one, the only high and mighty one. The only. There is no comparison to anyone or anything. Serve him first. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Uh, Philippians 2.15 says that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among those who you shine as lights in the world. Crooked and perverse generation. Was that just for then? Was Was that just for these times? Or are we seeing crooked and perverse generation today? Among who you shine as lights in the world, are you, am I, are we shining as lights in the world? Are we just trying to blend in? I just want to coexist, so I'm just going to just go with the crowd. That's not Christian mentality. That's world mentality. 
If you, if you start to seek the mob mentality, you're just lost. You are lost. We need to seek him first. Acts 24, 16 says, This being so, I myself always strive to have a conscience without offense towards God and men. And again, here's that order. It could say, without offense towards men and God. It could, but now that shows what your priorities are or what your priority is against or towards God and men. And this is nothing new. The religious leaders found it impossible to conjure up an accurate charge against the Lord Jesus. And this is what they're doing. They're not trying to conjure up this against Daniel. They are in their mind, but they're conjuring up against the Lord Jesus. They want to discredit him. They want to make it look like this, this religious thing, this, this God that you follow, he's not really for you. Not only that, but he makes your life a lot more difficult because he's got these strict rules that you have to adhere to. No, no, he does not. And if, if you're following him and you know his heart, his heart is to do what's in our best interest to a point. He knows what we need. He knows what we don't need. And he provides accordingly. We have to trust that. And, and as I'm standing here saying this, I, we need to, we want to, but we have to. If you call yourself a person, a Christian, a true believer, a follower of Christ, these are the things that are difficult for us. They make life a lot easier in a true sense, a lot easier. The, uh, verse 5, these men said, we shall not find uh, any charge against this Daniel unless we find it against him concerning the law of his God. And the only way they could come up with a charge against Daniel was concerning his religion. They knew that Daniel was Lord of God and they wanted to find a way to use that against him, as I said earlier. We know that this, this, this person, this man, this woman is a child of God. So how can we use that against him or her? What we can do is we can set them up in a position where there's a perception of evil. They're not doing anything, but we can arrange it so it looks like they are. And that's why the, the word warns us, even the perception of easy. I'm guilty, not because I'm hanging out with a rough crowd, but because that association, if you drove by and saw me hanging out at Joe's Bar and Grill, what do you think? Wow, I, I, I think Rich is uh, in there doing uh, shots and martinis with the boys. And I could say, well, I don't care what they think, but that's not the right thing. That's not the right attitude. I do care what you think. I do want to be above board. I do want to be above reproach. And, and I'm not just boasting in, in my desire, but I'm encouraging you to make that your desire. Your desire. Okay, this, doesn't, this is not a place that I shouldn't be, so I'm not going to be. Um, if you have trouble with language, if you have trouble with blue language, pray about it. Lord, take that away from me, because that language is an indication. The word says, uh, from the abundance of the heart, the, uh, the mouth speaks. So you can't say, oops, that slipped out. It can't slip out if it's never in there. So when you say that, oop, pardon my French. No, I'm not going to pardon your French. If these things weren't in your heart, then they would never come out of your mouth. So we have to be careful with that. You know, and, and just to, to, to use these things and then to say I'm sorry doesn't clean it up. We have to be careful. We have to be careful how we speak. And as the pastor said this morning, words are important. Be careful. I just remember many years ago, uh, I was working with uh, uh, Bethel Youth Group, and there was a gentleman by the name of Michael Peace, and he placed great emphasis on words, how they were used, and, and how we should use He was, just took the time with us to sit down and say, be careful when you say certain things. And some of us do. Oh, I didn't really mean it that way. 
but you said it that way. We have the luxury of knowing what you said, but we don't have the luxury of knowing what you meant. So the the reason I'm bringing that up is because there are some of us who still talk that way, who still say these things. Brother, you know, you might want to clean that up. No, I just say what's on my mind, what's on my heart. Well, that's not a good thing. We have to be very careful uh, and always, always, always be careful with the audience. When you're talking this way or, or telling that joke that you told at work, this may not be appropriate. Look around. Who hears this? You have an influence, whether you want to or not. Moving on. Verse 6. So these governors and satraps thronged before the king and said thus to him, King Darius, live forever. Yeah, let's puff him up a little bit. All the governors of the kingdom, the administrators and the satraps, the counselors and advisors have consulted together to establish a royal statute to make a firm decree that whoever petitions any god or man for 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Here's a problem. Once a, a, a law or decree is made, even the king can't change it. This is one of the downsides to this type of rulership. Now, Nebuchadnezzar made a law or a decree and things didn't work out the way he thought. Okay, let's erase that from the books. In the Medo-Persian kingdom, no, can't change it. So, so we'll see later on how this works out. Verse 9, therefore King Darius signed the written decree. They puffed him up. Now King, you the man. So you can make any rule you want and we have to abide by it. And uh, another weakness of this kingdom is of silver is exposed. After a law has been signed by the king, even he cannot change it and found there was a limit to his power. The law was passed and the politicians had set their trap. But God. But God. Verse 10. Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home and in his upper room with his windows open, that's important, with his windows open toward Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as was his custom since early days. Note, what did Daniel do? He went home. He knelt and prayed. Well, I'm going to go home I'm going to make up a sign, and I'm going to go out, and I'm going to pick it. And if it comes to it, I'll bust some heads if I have to. He prayed. He didn't find that necessary. So, after 30 days, except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Although Darius was a good man, and we know there are certain religious systems that teach that being good is enough. You don't need much else. All you have to do is be a good person. Now, the Bible contradicts that. It says there's none good. No, not one. So there's a conflict here. Daniel was a good man. And in addition to that, he had an issue with vanity. Vanity, vanity, all is vanity. Emptiness. These men knew this, that he had an issue with vanity, and knew they could use flattery to influence his decisions. They drafted a bill, gave it unanimous approval, and passed it on to the king that he would make it a law. The bill said the prayer could be offered only to Darius. Danger. It was difficult for the king to reject such a proposal because he enjoyed the spotlight so much. All eyes on me. It's all about me. Darius was unaware that this flattery is for the sole purpose of trapping Daniel. Darius didn't see this coming. They knew that Daniel would be faithful to the only high and mighty one, the true and living God. They knew that. This is how we're going to get him. He's not going to back away. He's not going to compromise. So we got to get him. 
We got to get them based on that and that alone. Verse 8. Now, O king, you establish the decree and sign the writing so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which does not alter. Verse 9. Therefore, King Darius signed the written decree. And uh, again, this, this is the weakness in that type of kingdom. Verse 10. Um, you know, as I said, Daniel, he prayed. It wasn't about anything else except praying. Uh, and he went to try and uh, when Daniel knew that a writing was signed by Darius, he did not go out and try to organize a group to protest the king's ruling. His windows remained open as they always were. He continued to pray as he always did with a quiet faith and confidence in God. He followed his long-established custom. How many of us are changing the way we think, the way we do things? Because we're finding that it's not as comfortable as it used to be. I need to caution you. I need to caution us. And the word has promised us that things are going to ramp up even more. As a actor, entertainer said a long time ago, I don't remember, you ain't seen nothing yet. And it's hard because it's at a point now where you can't foresee. Well, I can see this coming. The things that are happening today, there's not one person sitting here or listening there who can say they saw it coming. Because we're seeing times that are unprecedented. We're seeing things that are happening around us that are unprecedented. We are seeing men and women so evil that they would create laws to destroy our children. Who saw that? Well, why, didn't we always do what was in the best of our kids? Didn't we always try and protect them? And now it just seems like we've gone away from that. It's not a priority anymore. And just remember, I ask myself constantly, who, who does this? Who's sitting in a room making up these laws, these mandates that... I'm, by law, I can teach your kindergarten sex education. And if you interfere, I can have you arrested. You saw that coming? No, you did not. Who said that we're going to change the very way we look at men and women? Wait a minute. Let's go back to Genesis. It seems pretty clear to me. Well, that's because you're a Christian. That's because you're narrow-minded. That's because you're short-sighted. That's because you're bigoted. You're racist. That's why you look at it like that. Yeah, God said, men and women, that was okay for the book of Genesis, but we choose not to live that way anymore. You saw that coming? But wait, there's more. Who would have ever thought that we would see a time when pedophiles had their rights? We're not going to hate the sinner, but we can certainly hate the sin. Again, the point is, what's next? What's, what's around the bend? You can't know. These are things that you, you and I could never foresee. So you can't imagine, we can't imagine what's going to happen now. What's going to happen? Is there going to be such lawlessness where this person is an undesirable sinner or perhaps a Christian? Let's just take them out. We got to get rid of these guys because they're, they're, they're just, they're, they're a cog in the wheel of society. They're creating problems for us. So let's get rid of them. You can't do that. Oh, really? There's a law in effect right now that says if you don't blend in with the way the rest of us are, we can take you out. Well, that's not right. That's not fair. Sure it is. Because we say so. Who's we? The powers that be, the people that make these laws. And I just find it just so difficult uh, for me. My heart is heavy 
now than it's ever been because of what I see around me. I, I have a real, real heart for children, a real heart for people in general, but especially children. And when I see what they're being subjected to, when I see the things that, that, that are happening and then just being, uh, oh well, that's the way it goes. And us not taking a stand. Us just being passive. And if you're passive, you're going to smash us like bugs. What do we do? We pray and we seek what the Lord has for you. And I, I just want to clarify one thing. The last time I got to talk uh, with uh, here, I made a point that we need to stand up. We need to take action. And so I had some questions on it. Brother Richard, what does that mean? Well, it may mean something different for you than it was is for me. To me, I believe in the power of prayer. That's the way it's been. Continues that be that way, and I pray to God that it, it continues to be that way for me personally. Some people want to go out and make some noise. I don't make a lot of noise. The most noise I make is right here. That's just me. But there are other people who want to go out and threaten people, break some windows, steal some stuff from the meat market, you know, things like that. But pray, pray. There's power in prayer. Uh, and there's proof. There's a lot of proof. So continue to pray. Daniel was obeying God's instructions by praying with his windows open towards Jerusalem. Solomon had given uh, this procedure in the prayer of the temple. It says, towards Jerusalem had been the direction of Daniel's life, and he would not change it in this latter days. He will not change. This has been what the Lord has put on my heart. This has been what I've learned uh, from the, 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 the book of uh, Solomon, and I'm just going to continue. He's just going to continue, and that's the way. Today, no earthly place is preferred over another. Well, where do I pray? How do I pray? I only pray at church. Who thought that one up? Where'd you come up with that? Who said that you only pray at church? Praying at home takes on a whole different meaning. No. Today, no earthly place is preferred over another. Luke 11, 1 said, Now it came to pass, as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. Didn't say teach us how to pray. Teach us what to pray. How many verses should I inject into my prayer life? Should I be loud? Pentecostal? In my prayers, should I go on the street corner so it's not wasted, so I can share it with other people? He's warned us about that already, so we won't go there. Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. Teach us to pray. So that's encouragement that we get. Pray. Pray. Well, how long should it be? I pray for three minutes. My wife, my, my wife prays for seven minutes, so she's critical that my prayers aren't long enough. She's critical that I don't in, 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 in put in any, any really floppy verses. She's critical that I pray quietly, and she doesn't. Don't be swayed by that. Whatever the Lord has put on your heart, teach us to pray, period. John 4, 21 through 24, it said, Jesus said to her, woman, Believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. No way, that will never happen. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming. The hour is coming. And now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. Key word here, true worshipers. We'll worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is uh, seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Well, 
I can worship in the spirit, but sometimes you have to, you know, soften the words a little bit so you don't offend anyone. If you take the teeth out of the gospel to make it less offensive, then you're working for the adversary at that point. Well, I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. You want to beat them over here with the Bible? As a friend of mine said, got to be careful. The truth hurts. So be it. If this, if it hurts, and I don't mean to literally hit them over the head, but if this is, if they want to, don't want to believe it, it's not up to you to soften it up. You're doing us as Christians, as true worshipers, as true believers in God. You're doing us all a disservice. The gospel can be offensive. And that's just part of the deal. So we have to be careful when we try and water it down. Well, you know, this is a new believer, so I don't want to discourage her or him. So I'm just going to, you know, just change, change the word a little bit. Just so it's a lot easier to swallow. But you're doing them a disservice now. You're not giving them the truth. You've got to give them the truth. Back to prayer. The posture of prayer is important here. Although we are not commanded a certain posture or mode of prayer, the scripture makes it clear that kneeling is a preferred position. Preferred, not mandatory. Standing seems to have been the Hebrew custom. Hebrew custom is key here. Teach us to pray, not how. Second Chronicles 6, 6.13 says, For Solomon had made a bronze platform and had set it in the midst of the court, and he stood on it, knelt down on his knees before all the assembly of Israel and spread out his hands towards heaven. Does it have to be that way? And that, that was paraphrased, folks. Does it have to be that way? Does he, do you have to be on your knees? No. Pray. Solomon had started out standing, but it was clear that he knelt before the congregation. Moses, Aaron, Joshua, and David fell upon their faces before God. They all did. These were godly people. They fell on their face. There's nothing wrong with that. Matthew 6, 5. And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues. And on the corners of the streets, but that they may be seen by men. Surely I say to you, they have their reward. You want to be a man pleaser? It's not going to get you very far. Because there's no way that you can measure up. You may be able to please one person. But the next one's going to have different standards. You cannot... With a true heart, a true conscience, a true belief in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, be a man pleaser. You can't. You're never gonna never gonna measure up. The Pharisee, uh, Luke eighteen eleven, the Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself: God, I thank you that I am not like other men extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. (laughs) I pray that I'm not like other men. Got to be careful with that. Now you're comparing yourself to other men. Jeremiah says, the heart of man is secretly wicked. Who can know it? I found that to be true. Personal experience. In the garden, our Lord knelt. Luke twenty-two forty-one says, and he was withdrawn from them about his stone's throat, and he knelt down and prayed. If the Lord knelt down and prayed, I'm thinking that's a pretty good model for me to follow. But he's not saying that we have to do that. Pray, pray, pray. Acts uh, Stephen, the first modern, knelt to utter his last prayer, 
Acts 7.60 says, Then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Paul knelt in prayer with the elders of Ephesus. Acts 20.36 says, And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. By kneeling, we creatures take our proper place before our creator and redeemer. Proper place. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with we're honoring you. We're worshiping him. We're worshiping the Lord. And kneeling would be considered a proper place. Do you have to? No. Teach us to pray. Pray. Verse 11. Then these men assembled and found Daniel praying and making supplication before his God. The enemies of Daniel were spying on him so that they might accuse him of breaking the law. Breaking the law. Wait a minute. You better be praying for Darius here. Well, I'm not. I'm praying to the only high and lofty one. That's it. Okay, buddy, we got to take action. You're breaking the law. You know, we made, we made this decree that you can only worship Darius. You can only pray to Darius. So you just broke it. So we got to take medicine to our own hand. Verse 12. And they went before the king and spoke concerning the king's decree. Have you not signed a decree that every man who petitions any god or man within 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, the thing is true according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which does not alter. Although the king was aware of this decree, he felt compelled. <laughs> they felt compelled to remind him. We, we got to really push this thing, man. We got to get this guy out of here. He's making things bad for us. Verse 13, so they answered and said before the king, that Daniel was one of the captives from Judah does not show due regard for you, O king, or for the decree that you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Not only he's praying to this other God, from their perspective, this false God, he's doing it three times a day. We can't have that. Let's take action. And they lodged a formal complaint against Daniel. Verse 14, and the king, when he heard these words, was greatly displeased. He was greatly displeased with himself and set his heart on Daniel to deliver him. And he labored to the going down of the sun to deliver him. Now he's seeing the error of what they did. He's seeing that Daniel was set up. He doesn't agree. But because of the Medo-Persian laws and, and they can't be reversed or deleted. Now he's falling into the trap. Verse 15, then these men approached the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is the law of the Medes and Persians that no decree or statute with the king established may be changed. Okay, yeah, I'm well aware of that. Yeah, but we just want to remind you, just in case you've forgotten. These men reminded Darius and the laws were above the person of the king. He was a slave to his own laws. Didn't see it coming. Trapped, bamboozled, shanghaied. 16, so the king gave the command and they brought Daniel to cast him into the den of lions. But the king spoke, saying to Daniel, your God, whom you serve continually, he will deliver you. So I'm saying that to you and you. Our God will deliver you. We get to the point where we think, is there any hope? Our God is a God of hope. I don't care what you're going through. I don't care how dire the situation seems. I don't care if you believe that you're at the end of your rope. He's got a plan for you. And he will take you to the edge. He will allow you to go to the edge. If you're going through some physical things that you say, how long, O oh Lord? He knows. If you're going to go through some financial situations, how long, O oh Lord? He knows. Trouble in the family. He's got a plan even through that. Pray about it. Pray about it. He's got a plan for you. 
The word hopeless does not, as a Christian, a true believer, the word hopeless should not be a part of your vocabulary. Should not. There's always hope, no matter what it is. What are you going through? You know, uh, Lord, I had this serious operation and I just didn't think I'd ever bounce back. I'll have you walking in a month. You may have a cane, but you'll be up and at it. Lord, I'm going through this this issue with, with my wife and she's got many, many, many issues and I just want you to just heal her. Now you've got to ask yourself, what does healing mean in this context? What is healing? Healing that she's going to be or he's going to be the person that they were years ago, months ago. We've got to be careful. I asked the Lord for healing and he took her home. Is that not healing? Is that not the ultimate healing? We have to be careful with this preconceived notions of what these things mean. Lord, I'm struggling here. I got, I got issues that I just don't know what to do. Cast your cares. Yeah, but I know you got bigger things than my concerns. No. No. He cares about everything. For God, whom you serve continually, he will deliver you. When most of us think of Daniel, we think of him in, in connection with the time in the lion's den. What we learn as a child in Sunday school, we probably think that Daniel spent most of his life in the lion's den. No, he did not. Daniel spent one night. One. Um, And I don't think that's the impression that we got from the, the Sunday school teacher. Not that they just gave us any false information, but... When, I, when we think of Daniel in the lion's den, well, when we think of Daniel, what do we think of? Daniel in the lion's den. Well, that's, I think that's where he spent his life. No, one night. One night in the long life of, uh, one night, a long life in the lion's den. It broke the king hard to put Daniel into the den of lions. Understood. I made this decree, and now... I believe that he's, I know that he's a man of God. I know that he's spirit-filled. Yet I made this decree and it works against us. It works against him and it works against me. And I, I can't fix it. Darius was brought to a knowledge of the living and true God. Through this incident, he realized that Daniel's God was omnipotent and sovereign. And God could and would deliver Daniel. Darius was assured. He had that blessed assurance that the Lord was going to deliver him. So he knew. Although his spirit felt that, but in the flesh, he was uncomfortable because he didn't sleep. Darius did not sleep. Couldn't wait to get up and go and see if Daniel was in pieces or at peace. Hmm. Daniel was faithful to God and his life was a powerful witness to the saving grace of God. Are we faithful to God? Is our life a powerful witness of the saving grace of God? When we honor God, he will honor us. That's what the word says. He will honor us. Verse 17 then a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the, and the king uh, sealed it with his own signet ring and with the sickness of his lords, that the purpose concerning Daniel might not be changed. Hmm. Both the king and the lord sealed the stone slab that sealed off the mouth of the den. Daniel's enemies want to make sure that Daniel remained in the den. We want to make sure that this guy never sees the light of day again. The lions were fierce and wild beasts, and they were kept hungry. It was sure and certain death to go in the lion's den. When you go into the lion's den, everybody that goes in, nobody gets out alive, basically. 18, verse 18. Now the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting, and no musicians were brought before him. Also his sleep went from him. 
No rest for the wicked. And that's uh, and the Lord had a I'm sorry, the king had a sleepless night because of the concern for Daniel. His heart and body were restless because his lack of genuine faith. His spirit believed that Daniel would be spared, but his flesh didn't quite agree. So he fasted. He had a night of non-sleep as a result of that. And he was involved in the unjust verdict because he was involved in the unjust verdict against Daniel. Isaiah 57, 20, 21 says, But the wicked are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. There is no peace, says the Lord, for the wicked. No peace. Are you experiencing peace in your walk with Jesus tonight? Are you experiencing peace in your walk with Jesus every day? Are you recognizing the new mercies that are on your pillow every morning? Are you realizing that God loves you? Is your spirit troubled by the fact that the things that we want to happen are not happening, are not falling in place the way we, we would like them to. Verse 19, Then the king arose very early in the morning and went in haste to the den of lions. 20, And when he came to the den, he cried out with a lamenting voice to Daniel. The king spoke, saying to Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? Rhetorical question. Daniel's alive. These lions are hungry. They were, they were kept hungry, so they would devour him. They did not. Daniel was found alive. So when he asked the question, who else could deliver him but God? There's no other deliverer. The king had very little hope that Daniel was still alive, yet he had enough faith to investigate. My spirit says he'll, he'll get out of it. My flesh says, ah, I'm thinking no. Spirit wins again. Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. 22, uh, my God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouths and that they have not hurt me because I was found innocent before him, innocent before the Lord. And also, O king, I have done no wrong before you done no wrong why should I be fair to the lies if I haven't done anything wrong Daniel trusted in the Lord and the Lord delivered again still Daniel had given the same blessed assurance as his three friends in the fire furnace that God both could and would deliver I know personally that everyone in this room has been delivered from something. You're not here just on a counter. You're here because you've seen the Lord working in your life and you desire more of that. We're struggling. A lot of us sitting in this very room right now are struggling with some things, different things, some of the same things perhaps. But he's a great deliverer. And he's not a respecter of person. So don't ever feel like, I'm not sure he cares about me. So I'm just going to give up on him. Never, never, never. 1 Peter 4.19 Therefore let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. Faithful creator. I will never leave you nor forsake you. He means it. Says it and he means it. Verse 23. Now the king was exceedingly glad for him and commanded they should take Daniel up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no injury whatever was found in him because he believed in his God. The king was delighted that Daniel was preserved. He loved Daniel and wanted to protect him. Daniel was released. 
And the law would not allow a person to be tried for the same offense. So Daniel was, it was pretty solid at this point. Demands of the law had been satisfied. Daniel was saved by the king? No. Daniel was saved by grace. He rested in God alone for deliverance. Hebrews 11.33 says, Who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promise, stopped the mouth of lions. That's what it says. Is there anything too hard for God? I haven't seen it yet. I don't know about you guys, but uh, not that I'm waiting to find out, but I, in my years, uh, I haven't seen anything that was too hard for him. So maintain that hope. Whatever it is that you're struggling with, maintain that hope. He's got a plan for you. Verse 24, and the king gave the command and they brought those, those men who had accused Daniel and they cast him into the den of lions. Them, their children, and their wives, and the lions, lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces before they ever came to the bottom of the den. Ouch. Uh, there's another account that comes to mind. I, I didn't, didn't include it here, but it, it's Esther in the book of Esther. We're going to plot against them, you know. We're going to we're going to do some damage here, and uh, the tables return, so to speak. Twenty-four. And the king gave him in, and he brought these. these okay, uh, the plot of those who were enemies of Daniel were uncovered. They, together with their families, were cast into the den of lions according to Median law. The viciousness of the lions is now demonstrated. The lions had the same potential when Daniel was in there. But God. Then King Darius wrote to all people, nations and language, 25. Then Daniel, then King Darius wrote to all people, nations and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. Darius sends out a worldwide decree, which is his personal testimony. He had found the same peace that Nebuchadnezzar had found in Daniel chapter 4. Daniel chapter 4, 1 says, Nebuchadnezzar the king to all people, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. Romans 5, 1 says, Therefore, having justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And this testimony of peace came from a man who could not sleep the night before. So his heart was, was really tugging at him. Verse 26, I make a decree that in every dominion of my kingdom, men must tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. Now we're getting somewhere. For he is a living God and steadfast for, forever. His kingdom is the one which shall not be destroyed and his dominion, dominion shall endure to the end. And Darius commends all people to fear the God of Daniel. He testified that the fact that he is a living God in, in contrast to idols and that God is sovereign. What do you mean he's sovereign? Because he loves you, he applies grace to give you what you don't deserve. Because he loves you, he applies mercy to not give you what you do deserve. God is love. So as a result, whatever he's doing in your life and mine, he's showing his love for us. But brother, I'm going through some serious challenges here. I don't know. Uh, you say that God loves me, but he's not showing love in the way I define it. Hmm, the old dreaded eye disease. Ooh, I hate when that happens. God is sovereign. He delivered, 27, he delivers and rescues and he works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. Who has delivered Daniel from the power of the lion? Darius was brought to God through the miracle of the lion's den. What's it going to take? If there's any here today who don't know Jesus Christ as a Lord and Savior, what's it going to take? I know what it took for me, not something I want to talk about. But what's it going to take? if you have not yet accepted him as Lord and Savior. And once upon a time, I used to assume that if you're in this building, you had, you had it locked. Mm, I don't do that anymore. 
Not at all. And rightfully so, you shouldn't. They go to, I see them every Sunday, so they must be saved. Mm-mm. Verse 28, so this Daniel prospered in the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Daniel's position was secure and he maintained it to the end of his life, which came during the reign of Cyrus. It was Cyrus who made the decree, permitted, decree permitting the Jews to return to Palestine. Perhaps the lion's den experience had influenced his life. What has influenced our lives? What things has the Lord done in others that influence our lives? And I like to think that we were all influenced by someone uh, prior to making a commitment to Christ. Because in and of ourselves, it's a, it's a real challenge. Because I'm counting the cost, and it would not be in my best interest to commit my life to Christ. Because that means i got to give up this, this, and this. Well, what about the gains? Yeah, but the, the things that I enjoy outweigh all these things. I can't hang out with my buddies if I commit to Christianity. If I commit to a faith system, I can't. I can't do the things that I enjoy. Uh, And sometimes, uh, as most of us know, who've been around for a few years, we look back on those things and they weren't as much fun as we thought. I thought I was having a good time. I was enjoying doing these awful things to myself or allowing these things to happen to me or the things I was subjected to. But now that he's coming to my life, they pale by comparison to his goodness, to his love. Okay, we're going to wrap it up uh, with this. In this chapter, the emphasis is on satanic hatred and persecution. The devil is likened to a lion. First Peter uh, 5.8 says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may destroy. Like a lion. Second Timothy 4.17 But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me so that the message might be preached fully through me and that all the Gentiles might, fe- might hear. Also, I, had, I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. Psalm 10, 9. He lies in wait secretly as a lion in his den. He lies in wait to catch the poor. He catches a poor when he draws them into his net. Psalm 57, 4 says, my soul is among lions. I lie among the sons of men who are set on fire, whose teeth are spears and arrows and their tongue a sharp sword. Revelations 12, 13 through 17 says, Now when the dragon saw that he had been cast to the earth, uh, he uh, persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. But the woman was given two wings of a great eagle and she might fly into the wilderness of her place where she is nourished for a time and times and half a time from the presence of the serpent. So the serpent spewed water out of his mouth like a flood after the woman that he might cause her to be carried away by the flood. But the earth helped the woman and the earth opened his mouth and swallowed up the flood which the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. And the dragon was enraged with the woman and he went to make war with the rest of her offspring who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Christ Jesus, Jesus Christ. Last one. And this is not uh, thus says the Lord, but it's something that's, that's been on my heart for quite a while. So I'm just going to end with this. When the power of love overcomes the love of power, then we might experience temporary peace. But we won't know a real lasting peace until the Prince of Peace returns. When is that, Richard? Soon and very soon. Lord, we thank you for this time that you've allowed us. And I pray that even if I said one word that discouraged my brother or my sister, our father, I pray that you would just erase it from our minds even now. I thank you for how you've given us this opportunity to to share your word. And I just pray that uh, our sisters and brothers would take it to heart, Father that you love us.
unconditionally. So we give you praise and honor for who you are, and we give thanks to you for whose we are. May you continue to bless our lives, Father. May you continue to enlarge our hearts so that we can receive more of you. May you continue to have your way in our lives. And if there's anyone here today, either present, physically, or in the sound of my voice, who does not yet know you as their Lord and Savior, I pray that today, tonight, would be the day of salvation, Father. That they would come running, asking, what must I do to be saved? So thank you, Father, for this time. Thank you for this opportunity. Thank you for the hearts of my brothers and sisters. May you receive the glory. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen, amen, and amen. God bless you guys. Thank you so much.